Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, if you are uh, new to Blacknall or grew up in a church that didn't particularly pay attention to the liturgical calendar, this is the first Sunday of Advent and where we begin a new church year. And uh, so it's good to be together. If you are uh, here visiting with family or, or just new to Blacknall, we are particularly glad that you are here. Uh, hope that uh, our ways do not feel too, too strange to you and that you would uh, know all of our just joy that you are with us this morning. This opportunity for us to be together is, is a gift we are thankful for. Uh, there is a, a black pad there in your pew. If you could take that and sign it, that's one of our ways of knowing who's here this morning. There are also prayer cards in the pews. If you have a particular prayer concern, we do have uh, um, a prayer team that would be glad to pray for those things. Please fill it out and uh, leave it in the box of the offerings or give it to myself or Goody or, or Becky and we will pass that on. In this new season of Advent, we are beginning a new sermon series, taking a pause once again from our looking at the Gospel of Mark. There was an article in Christianity Today a month or so ago that said that people may be more likely to remember the words to a song that are sung in church than they were to remember what was said in the sermon. I got a one-word email from Dave Stuntz, our former minister of music, with a link to the article, and the one word was simply, may, with a question mark. <laughs> I would joke with Dave about his doing his little sort of music thing <laughs> before we get to the most important part of the service, which was, of course, the sermon. But I have to admit that I would be dreaming if I thought that any sermon I would preach could be as memorable as any of a vast number of the songs that we sing. By Wednesday or Thursday of this week, how many of us here, could any of us remember even a single point from the sermon the Sunday before? But many weeks, I find myself humming or whistling the tune from one of our songs throughout the week. And that is especially true this season of Advent and Christmas, when is under incredible pressure in these next several weeks. Make sure he picks our favorite carols for us to sing. And I doubt if any of you came this morning hoping that I would read for you Mary's Magnificat from Luke chapter 1. But I'm guessing that many of us came with hopes and expectations of what Christmas and Advent songs we would sing this morning. Well, in order to help us remember the sermon, I thought about singing the sermon this morning. That would be something we would not soon forget. <laughs> But with the hope of, being re of not being remembered for the wrong reasons, I decided against that. Instead, we thought we would do, in this season of Advent, a four-part mini-series on the songs of Advent. In Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, he records for us four different songs. These songs are not ones that we sing very often, but they have been sung and recited countless times in the history of the church. In some parts of the church in the world, these songs are sung, recited every week. The four songs are known to us by their Latin names, the Latin first word of each of these songs. Their Mary's song that we look at this morning, also called the Magnificat. Zechariah's song, also called the Benedictus. Simeon's song called the Nunc Dimittis. And the song of the angels called 
the Gloria. This morning, as we read the Magnificat, Mary's song, let us acknowledge the gift this song is to us because we know so little about Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. Scripture gives us very few details, but it does give us this song, this glimpse into the heart of Mary. What do we learn about this woman who was chosen by God to bear and give birth to God's son and who, and who would be given the responsibility of parenting him? Let us listen then to God's word found in Luke chapter 1. You can find that in the Bibles in your pews on page 1025. We'll begin reading with verse 39. This is after the angel Gabriel has come to Mary, has told her that she would uh, become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to, uh, to Jesus. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, who was also pregnant. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, and here is the song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This too is where the Lord. Thanks be to God. This song has two verses or two stanzas with three themes in each of the stanzas. Verses 46 to 49 in our text are the first stanza and focus on what God has done for Mary personally. The second stanza is verses 50 to 55 and they focus on what God has done for his people. It is a a song that is both personal and communal. The first stanza of the song begins and ends with praise. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then verse 49 ends with holy is his name. Mary's heart overflows with praise and worship. She sees Elizabeth and she erupts in praise to God. Verse 46 traditionally has been translated, my soul magnifies the Lord, where the Magnificat gets its name. Origen, in the third century, asked the question, how is it possible? How can a soul magnify the Lord? Is there anything a soul can do to make God bigger or smaller? God's glory is not diminished by my refusal to worship him. How can 
any individual soul magnify the Lord? Origen answers his question by saying that each one of us has been created in the image of God. And what we do with our souls either reflects that image or distorts it. Our souls are either clear and bright and correspond to the form of the original image of God, or they're dirty and dingy and make it difficult to see that original image of God. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. She glorifies God, and by so doing, she reflects the image of God that Jesus exhibits to us perfectly. How about you? How about me? Mary gets poked by the greeting from Elizabeth, and she overflows in praise to God. This is the true form of our image of God, made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When I get poked, does my heart overflow in praise and worship? Or are we more likely to respond with a complaint? There could have been another response for Mary. Elizabeth's statement of how blessed Mary is could have produced this response. Thanks, because I'm sure going to need it, right? I'm already tired. It's only the first trimester, and it's, yeah, it's really good to be here with you. I couldn't wait to get away from those busybodies in Nazareth. I can only imagine the gossip when I begin to show. And then off we would go into a whole conversation, right, of complaint, of focusing on our hardships. I know exactly how you feel. You should see what the people might, right? And we would go off on this natural, easy conversation of complaint, of hardship, of how hard things are for us. When you are poked, what comes out? Complaint, appeals for sympathy, or praise and thankfulness? Luke gives us a glimpse into the heart of Mary. What does one look like who is indwelt by the Son of God? Their soul magnifies the Lord. Holy is his name, she says. And Mary here praises God in the words of the first petition of the prayer that Jesus taught us. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name, she says. Did Jesus first hear that petition from Mary? The second theme in this first stanza of Mary's song is a theme of salvation. When her heart is poked, she breaks out into praise and worship because she has experienced God's salvation. Verse 48 tells us that the Lord has been mindful of Mary. And verse 49 says that the mighty one has done great things for me. The Lord has seen Mary in her humble estate. He has seen her and has acted for her. A disciple is one who knows that God has seen them, that God is mindful of them, and that God has acted for them. This is salvation. Being lost is the opposite. Being lost is not knowing that God, my Savior, is mindful of me. Being lost is thinking that God doesn't know or doesn't care about my mess, about my brokenness, about my oppression. Whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, hear the good news. God is mindful of your humble state. The Lord knows and the Lord cares and the Lord will act. Mary praises God for his salvation, for what the Mighty One has done for her. But God has done very little yet for Mary. 
Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she would conceive and have a son. And we, were told that, and we were told that immediately she went to see Elizabeth. All that she has is the promise from the angel. She hasn't seen anything yet, and yet she states it in the past tense of what God has done for her. Sometimes all we have are God's promises. We have no evidence of God doing anything yet. But Mary is one who has God's promises and counts them as established fact. Would that each one of us could have a heart like Mary. And then the third theme in this first stanza is the theme of humiliation and, and exaltation. She says in verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. Mary was just a teenage girl from a small village in a remote, remote corner of the empire. We don't know what the specifics of her situation were, but they would have been humble, lowly, of little significance. But the Lord has exalted her so that all generations will call her blessed. And she was right, we do. This theme will return again in the second stanza of humiliation and ex exaltation. What Mary sees and knows and sings about is that God exalts the humble. Let's look then at this second stanza, beginning in verse 50. The second stanza begins and ends with the theme of God's mercy. Here in this second stanza, Mary is no longer singing about her own situation, but about what God is doing for his people. In verse 50, she says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And the song ends with the same theme of the Lord remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Our life together is rooted in God's mercy. There is no life together apart from God's mercy. From generation to generation, for Jews, for Gentiles, for every nation, it is rooted in God's mercy. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all recipients of God's mercy. None of us deserve to be here. I wish I could come up with a catchy tune for this because we are so prone to forget this. We are prone to thinking that maybe God loves me because I did so well this week. Or we are prone to think that we don't belong because we didn't live up to some standard. But what Mary knew and could sing about was that it is all God's mercy. Maybe this tune will help us. Those of you who are older may remember Mickey Mouse, right? M-E-R-C-Y, M-E-R-C-Y, right? Mercy, mercy. We have to have that tune stuck in our head lest we forget. The second theme in this second stanza is once again the theme of salvation. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good food, good things. He has helped his servant Israel. And notice that Mary's song is filled with what God does. God is the subject of every verb in the second stanza. Mary isn't telling us so much who God is as much as what, as much as what God does. 
And the strange thing, once again, is that all these things that God does are listed in the past tense. They're listed as past events that are done and completed. But they've not happened yet. These are things that God will do. But in Mary's song, the fact that God has promised, it means that it might as well have already happened. Do we ever talk this way? If a friend is going for an interview, we might say, you got this, right? Well, actually, they don't got it yet, right? But we use the past tense because it means that we are so confident that they will do well, that it will go well, as if it has already happened. The Steelers play the Bengals today, right? You won't hear me talk this way. I would not say the Steelers got this win, right? Because I know that my team, with my team, nothing is certain, right? But with God, it's a done deal. If you said to me, here, write a check for me and send it to so-and-so, and I will send you the money to cover it, would I write the check or would I wait until your $1,000 was in my account before I write that check? Mary wrote the check, right? Knowing for certain that God would keep his promise. It's already done, a past event. How do we remember this? How do we remember that God's promises are kept? And at the risk of continuing, well, this is a good song to think about humiliating yourself. Somebody sing another song for us, right? How can we remember that God's promises are what enable us to know that we are saved, that we have salvation? And you know, Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? How about P-R-O-M-I-S-E? Tell you what it means to me, P-R-O-M-I-S-E. <laughs> promise, promise, right? We can count on God's promises. Remember that song. Remember that tune. And finally, the third theme of this second stanza is the same as the first stanza. The theme of humiliation and exaltation. Mary's heart is filled with joy at the thought of God's great reversal. That God would scatter the proud in their inmost thoughts. The the proud, those who are confident, so confident in their own self-sufficiency and capability he says, they will be scattered in their inmost thoughts. All their plans, all of their schemes, their confidence in what they can do will be scattered by God. He will bring down rulers from the thrones and lift up the humble. He will fill the hungry with good things, but he will send the rich away empty. He will help his servant Israel who under the boot of Rome at this time. God will turn things upside down. It's interesting, when I think about Mary, when we sing songs about Mary, particularly the season of year, we tend to sing songs of Mary sort of meek and mild, right? But this song is not meek and mild. This is a song of of revolution, right? Of things being turned upside down. She's talking about a revolution. But it a different kind of revolution, not a a violent overcoming of the powerful by those with more power. And I think even Mary could not fully imagine the kind of revolution that God was bringing about. 
a revolution that was initiated not by one army overthrowing another, but a revolution that was initiated by one dying on the cross. Who could imagine that? Can we give ourselves to this revolution? Can we give ourselves to seeing the humble lifted up, to filling the hungry with good things? Can we give ourselves in the way of the cross of self-sacrifice? Remembering that indeed God is the subject of these verbs. God is the active agent. But we who have power and influence, can we use it for God's kingdom, for God's upside-down kingdom? And the words of an old Who song, talking about a revolution, right? That's what Mary is talking to us about. Finally, Advent is a season of waiting. Mary speaks for all of Israel who had been waiting for a long time for the Christ to come. We too are people who are waiting. We too are people who have been waiting a long time for God to act. God has acted. God has come. He is coming again. <laughs> when I need a better song. Rejoice, right? We should be people of great joy this morning. He has come. He is coming again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your mother Mary, for this glimpse into her heart of her trust and confidence in you and in your promises, Lord, her knowledge of your mercy and grace, Lord, of her expectation of what you will do in our world. Lord, we pray that we might be people like that, people rooted in mercy, people living our lives counting on your promises, and people able to participate in your kingdom come, your will being done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.